Hello and welcome to the 4 Comic Junkies Podcast. When the comics aren't enough and you need a little extra fix. I'm your host, JJ Hodges. Uh, this podcast is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Go to batman-on-film.com for all the latest, greatest, coolest, unspoilery Batman news. Um, so if you don't want to get spoiled, go there. If you want to get spoiled... <laughs> You're kind of an idiot. I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> just kidding. You're probably not. Um, anyway, we're doing another segment of I am 35 and so are they. Or maybe it should be I am 35 and, and I'm not alone. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Either way, today, my guest is um, the always awesome and uh, good-looking dude, Zacchaeus Hong. <laughs> Bless you. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, it, it's funny because I, I think I said this to you before that I'm always bringing you on for these anniversary or these milestone bits. Um, but I don't know. You know, it's uh, when I think of when I think of, you know, who do I want to talk movies with? You know, you're always at the top of the list. Uh, so I'm excited to have you here. Well, I, I'm I'm happy to be thought of it all. So it's, and certainly uh, when it comes to talking about uh, this movie, you don't need to nudge me too hard. <laughs> um, I, I did. I did think about that actually. Um, so uh, we we are talking RoboCop, uh, the original 1987 Peter Weller, uh, uh, Paul Verhoeven. Is that how you say it? I think it's Paul. That's correct. Okay. Oh, good. Cool. Uh, so Paul Verhoeven film, um, which is. Um, you know, I, I have a slightly interesting backstory with this movie, but uh, I'll first get into Zachy's story here. When did you uh, first kind of uh, come across or fall for RoboCop? Well, you know, it came out in the uh, summer of 87, and I remember uh, that that uh, summer we were, my family and I, we were visiting Edmonton, Canada. And that was in the lead up to the release of the film. So, so I first became aware of it just, you know, seeing the ads on TV. You know, and I was uh, uh, seven, going on eight at that time. Huh. And um, so I got to, I, I remember that some that was the summer that Masters of the Universe motion picture came out, which is what uh, I wanted to see. You know, and I dragged my brother along with me, who was five years older than me. He's like, I want to go see RoboCop, and uh, yeah. we weren't able to see it in the theater, obviously. And then. Uh, later that year for my birthday, this is when we were back in Saudi Arabia, for my birthday, I got a copy of Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, and it was a bootleg, you know, in Saudi Arabia, that's what they sold. And yeah. my brother bought, bought Robocop, you know, and so uh, I just, I remember watching it, having no idea that this was going to be, you know, just the most violent movie I've, I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I, I lost my innocence. <laughs> uh, watching this movie as, as a as a bright-eyed eight-year-old but uh it is a film that just took a permanent residence in my psyche uh, i mean to this day i screen it in my alternative cinema classes uh twice a year you know so i i i watch it regularly you know i recently introduced my my oldest kid to it and so it's just it's a movie that i i, I absolutely adore it um, that's, that's so interesting. Uh, I, 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 you know, I think I was, uh, I, I knew the movie, I knew the character when I was young and I think I remember watching it when I was 
don't know, in my like late teens and, and not thinking much of it. I don't, I don't even remember why. Um, hmm. but I just thought like, oh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be cool if they did like a modern reboot of this? And then I started thinking about it in my head, like how that would look. Um, and then like the movie just kind of fell off of my, felt, I, I think it literally fell out of my brain <laughs> for years. Um, <laughs> until like one night it was like, you know, one, two in the morning, I couldn't sleep. And I was like, I just, I need something, I need some ambient noise. I'll just put some dumb movie on. And I'll watch that and I'll, you know, it'll lull me to sleep. And, you know, I was going through Netflix and at the time Robocop was on there. This was years and years ago. And I was like, okay, sure. Why not? You know, I was like, I, I barely remember this movie. Sure. And uh, I did not sleep. <laughs> I was captivated. I was like, hmm. this movie is way smarter and way more interesting than I ever gave it credit for when I was younger. And I don't know why, but it, it just it was that moment where it just hit me and it was like, this is, this is a good movie. And I kind of can't believe I'm saying that about a movie called Robocop, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, you know, and I think, um, it, it's just, it's so interesting how the, the franchise just very quickly devolved from there. <laughs> um, you know, like you, you and I kind of talked uh, privately about Robocop two and how, what a strange movie experience that is in and of itself. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. But uh, I, I've never actually seen the third one. I, I am a little bit morbidly curious, but I've never seen the third one. I mean, it, it's if if the second one is a uh, you know steep drop from the first one, the the third one is like a, a sheer cliff. <laughs> Uh, That's it, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of horrifying to see how quickly uh, that franchise folded in on itself. It, it's really it it tells you that that you know the, the the film was conceived as sort of a critique of action movie cliches, and so the most disquieting part of the third one is that it's just been subsumed by all the all the cliches. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's almost like a movie. That would exist in the RoboCop universe. Yeah. Okay. I get what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, such a, you know, I mean, it's 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 you know, it's, I, I don't even really quite know where to start when we talk about this movie because it's, um, I think it's it's really well done where you're kind of, you know, you're you're, you're thrown into the world right away. It's the quote unquote not too distant future. You know, but like based on everybody's haircuts, it's if it's 1987, it's probably 1989. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, you just get a, an immediate sense of like the the corporate greed and the, uh, you know, just the, the nonsense that fills all the television sets. And then, you know, we go we cut to the police station and it's just and that's just reality, like their reality is just as bad it's it's wild to see how you know and it's and it's but it's also not too terribly far removed from our real world which is interesting i think i think you're right yeah you know there's there's a sense of you know there's like the sense of dread you know and like there's no like doomsday clock or anything but but i, I feel like there's kind of something like that you know like uh like Watchmen or whatever, 
Um, and it's in, and you know, and immediately we're, you know, we're thrown into the world. We, you know, we see cops talking about going on strike and, you know, you know, how can they do this to us? And, you know, the one sergeant or lieutenant, his name escapes me at the moment, just, you know, say, oh, we're cops, you know, we don't go on strike. And it's yeah, just, that's uh, a, a sergeant, sergeant Reed played by yes. Robert Doki. Who, who was he was in the second one too i think for like a minute <laughs> he, um, yeah he's 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 in all three he's one of the, the few actors that's in all three of them you know if the money if, if you need the money you know i mean <laughs> can't blame the guy <laughs> yeah um but um you know and and we get a sense for you know for murphy and and just a little bit of who he is we don't really even get to know him that well but right. I, I think Peter Weller is charming enough, like, you know, when he's, you know, with uh, Officer Lewis, um, you know, then suddenly it's like, you know, he's like, oh, they're like, oh, you're with, you're with her today, you know, you're going to, you know, patrol this section or whatever. And, you know, he's like, he's like, I always drive when I'm breaking in a partner, you know, just, but he's not cocky <laughs> about it. He's just kind of like, it, it's like, it's almost like a Han Solo moment, you know, he's like, ah, I'm cool, I got this. And and just I th I feel like very quickly the audience kind of roots for him like oh this guy's cool like we're okay yeah you know yeah um and then you know and then everything goes to <laughs> to shit like immediately <laughs> for pretty for, quickly um I think this was my first exposure to Kurtwood Smith not well, okay not my first exposure that that at the time at least only the second thing I'd have ever seen Kurtwood Smith in outside of uh, that '70s show. Um, okay. So I think the other thing was um, uh, 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 Broken Arrow, you know, that, that uh, John Travolta movie from like mm -hmm. 90, 95 or 96. Yeah. Um, I have an underrated gem, actually, if you ask me. But um, it's, it's a good movie. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Um, but um, it was just it was just funny, like watching it. And I, I didn't realize he was in it. You know, like I said, the movie had fallen out of my brain. And I'm just like immediately like, dude, this guy, this might be red if he had never met Kitty. You know, he just <laughs> all that anger just turned into <laughs> you know, like being a criminal. <laughs> I mean, that's the way yeah, I this, took it. <laughs> this, this was the the first thing I ever saw him in was was this. You know, so I it's it's very funny because yeah, it's it's almost like a mark of uh, your age. You know, based on whether you see. Clarence Boddicker or Red Foreman when you see a picture of Kurtwood Smith. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, like for me, you know, when I saw uh, that 70s show later, you know, I half expected uh, Red Foreman to be like, you're a dumbass. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. He's also in uh, Star Trek VI. Uh, which is the last movie with the original cast, and he plays the Federation president, and he's was very dignified alien, you know. But like uh -huh. for me, for me, man, he's just always going to be he's always going to be uh, Clarence Boddicker. And by the way, what what I've heard from multiple people who've worked with him is he is just the nicest guy you'd ever want to know. Um, I I've heard that too, actually, and I think that that's. Yeah. But I feel like I hear that about a lot of guys that play really good villains. I don't know. They, mm -hmm. They're good at hiding their dark side, I guess. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I think, like, truly, because when I was reading about the movie, I guess the original draft was Boddicker was the only villain. Like, OCP, all that stuff kind of came later. And mm -hmm. 
and when you watch it, it's like, well, you know, like I think his performance is strong enough that if they had gone that way, you know, he he could have held the movie on his own as the main antagonist. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, I'm glad they didn't because with all the the, the corporate you know, politics and bullshit that they end up getting into. Uh, it, the movie wouldn't have worked as well without all that. It pretty much would have just been an action movie. Um, at least from where I'm sitting. I, I don't know if you agree, but you know, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Uh, you know, it, and it's, uh, and I think, you know, they had such a interesting, they had a really good cast, you know, you've, you've Ray Wise and, uh, Ugh, I had his name and it escapes me now who played uh, the, you know, the melting man <laughs> at the end of the movie. Cause I always think of him. I think his name was Dr. Yeah, Crane. Yeah. Dr. Crane. Paul, Paul on ER? uh, well, Dr. Romano, but he's Paul McCrane, the actor. Okay. That's, that's yeah. what I was thinking of. I was close. Yeah. So, <laughs> you were close. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I was, yeah, cause that was my first exposure to him. And I remember like uh, my, my sisters, they were huge, ER fans back in the day, and they were like, "That guy's such a jerk in the show," and blah blah blah. And and I saw him on some talk show, and he said how like people on the street like would glare at him because he was such a jerk. <laughs> and apparently, he's a nice guy in real life, but you know, like everybody just treated him like you know Dr. Romano. <laughs> so, That's right. uh, but uh, but yeah, I I think what the uh, what the movie does really really well besides the the satire is it we we get to build up to robocop and then we have to like deconstruct him back to murphy and right. it's it's so it's so um it's not an original story you know the idea of a man who loses his identity or whatever but here i think it's done really really well and pretty believable in from you know from my point of view yeah um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I think uh, the, to me anyway, I think, I think a key part of what made the movie stand out back then, and I think what, what makes it continue to resonate now, is uh, the perspective offered by Paul Verhoeven, who, uh, who was able to offer a critique as a, a non-American mm -hmm. of how people outside of the U.S. perceive American culture, American consumerism, America's obsession with um, militarism, all these things, you know, from a uniquely non-American perspective. And I think that allows a, a richness in the critique, you know, and then, I, and then the other side of that is they make Murphy a character who you care about. And part of that is the writing, part of that is Peter Rowe's performance. Part of that is the beautiful music uh, of Basil Polidorus, the, you know, uh, the, the sort of the poignancy that he lends the character. All of those things together make us care about Robocop, even as we can chuckle at all of the social commentary and all the cultural critique that's happening. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, I, one of my favorite parts of the movie is, is a fairly understated part actually is, uh, you know, when he and, and Lewis stop and then he's, he's, you know, twirling his gun around. He says, Oh, my kid watches the show and the main character does it, gets a kick out of it. You know, I was like, so I did it to impress my kid. And she's just looking at him and he's like, okay, I get a kick out of it too. And, and, you know, <laughs> and even before I was a parent, I, I really, I could still, I felt like I could still relate to that. I'm like, I'm going to be that parent, you know, that wants to yep, yep. do something. <laughs> 
something kind of like, oh, my kid thinks it's cool. Like, well, then I'll do it, you know, because then I'll look cool to my kid. <laughs> That's right. Um, I haven't really had that yet. She's three, so I will, we'll see what happens later. But, <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, maybe it's just easier when you're a cop and you have a gun and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh-huh. But that, uh, I, you know, I, and like I said, the movie doesn't pull any punches. Like Murphy's death, I mean, if – you know, if the movie wasn't engaging enough, I think that would have kept me up all night anyway because it's it's fucking horrifying the way he's murdered. Right. Yeah, it's uh, awful. And 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 there's but there's also something to, that just feels it, it doesn't it doesn't feel unreal. You know, like it maybe it's exaggerated. I mean, I've never like been cornered by a gang in a warehouse, but <laughs> yeah. um, I. But like you know, it was it's that moment where we really see how much of a hero that Murphy is because he's just you know, like he's cornered, he's lost his gun, he knows he's gonna die, you know, one of those you know like gonna die and you know what I mean like one of those lists that's like what you know what's the best I'm gonna die and I know it bit from a movie, yeah. um, but you know he's like he's like oh I don't like cops and he's like oh I think you're slime it's just like. So this guy's not backing down. He's not begging. He's not crying. He's just, you know, he's going to stand his ground because he's he's an awesome awesome guy. And um, and then when he's killed, I, like I remember like thinking, watching it, he's he's killed, and I'm like, wait, then what happens? I'm like, oh, duh, he becomes Robocop. <laughs> but that moment is so horrifying and so uh, intense that I think I, I I probably had a normal reaction to it. Like the rest of us are going what next you know yeah yeah well and and i think uh you know part of what makes that scene so effective I and mean, when you think about it like it's all about economy of storytelling i mean that the the murphy death scene occurs maybe 10 15 minutes into the thing right i mean we don't we haven't had a ton of time to get to know the character we get it we get a couple of moments with him enough to be like oh, he seems pretty cool you know but not a ton right, right. and so how how better to get us to sympathize with the character than to subject him to a death that is just absolutely uh, gr- grotesque in it in in its excess? You know, I mean, he he and and this is the other, he doesn't go out with gritted teeth and and solemnity. You know, uh, he he's screaming in agony. I mean, this is this is something that any one of us watching can can imagine ourselves in and say, oh my gosh, I would not want that to happen to me. You know, it makes us immediately uh, care about him uh, to a much greater degree uh, than we already did. And I think that's such a crucial thing. And then connected to that is uh, how, uh, again, going back to the economy of storytelling, the the death scene uh, uh, carrying over into the rebirth scene, it's all done in point of view and in such, in such, quick form you know we're able to see his death mm-hmm. and we literally we see his life flashing before his eyes and how much more proof do we need that he's dying and then uh, all the information we need to have about robocop is conveyed very very efficiently through the pov of his of his you know uh what what his monitor is picking up you know i mean it's yeah. it's amazing it's just such great filmic shorthand it it, it really is because it, it you know it's it's a quick way to you know it, it it says to the audience immediately we 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 can figure out what's going on we don't need a character going 
like, okay, you know, RoboCop day one and blah, blah, blah. You know, we're not doing any of that. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, because right. it, because he keeps clicking on and off, uh, which I, you know, like you said, is, is really a, a good way to get a, really a lot of exposition across in a pretty short amount of time. Um, and, you know, and Miguel Fuhrer, I just, you know, it, it's funny because I read that, I guess originally the character was much like nastier and stuff, but then they ended up making him, because when they cast him, they, they made him not as nasty at least. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, you, you feel at least a little bit of sympathy for him, you know? I, I, he's, he's not a good guy, but he's a better guy than some of the other guys, I guess. I, I do remember feeling, like, the first time I watched it, I felt bad when he was killed. Like, I felt like... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, but, um, you know, but going, you know, rewinding a little bit, going to that scene where he initiates the RoboCop program to the old man, is that scene, I remember feeling like it was just one of the wildest things I've ever seen in my life. You know, their co-worker is brutally murdered in front of them. <laughs> and, you know, and then, you know, he's like, He's like, oh, I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. well, fuck Kenny. Like, he didn't matter that much, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, and I would say, you know, the first time I saw the movie, I mean, just right away, that scene of Kenny getting, getting shot up. I mean, again, I, I don't think I'd ever seen uh, that much violence before. You know, um, and, and it's I, pretty and I. It really is, you know, and and you know the 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 cut that's available now, the current, you know, it, it was the X-rated cut at the time. Now it's just kind of the the accepted cut that actually adds more violence to uh, specifically to Kenny's death that makes it more over the top. And I think actually the cuts that they had made initially made it more horrifying. Weirdly enough, even though it was there was less like exploding squibs and whatnot. Yeah. But the satir- the satirical part of it just completely passed by me, you know, as you mentioned, you know, that sense of the old man being like, I'm very disappointed. You call <laughs> this a glitch, you know? Oh, it's just a glitch, you know? I mean, and it's it's one of those things where it pursues the audience, like, that's funny, but that's horrible, and I don't know how I'm supposed to react. I mean, that's, it should be prompting these sort of conflicted reactions from me, you know? Uh, no, it, it definitely does, because the, the scene moves so quick, and... Um... You know, and, you know, Miguel Ferrer, you know, he jumps right in and is like, oh, you know, I, I have an idea that could replace this and we're ready to go into production now. And it's just so, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it, it just, it moves so fast that, you know, it, and it does feel a bit like, I mean, it definitely is just part of that, uh, that satire, that idea of this horrible, violent thing just happened but we're going to just press on, which is an unfortunate reality. I feel like we deal with in America all the fucking time, really. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's, but it's when it's presented to you in this, in this film, I think we, as the audience can have a moment to go, that was insane. Right. Like look at each other and go like, okay, but the movie's, going on so we can't stop you know so we have to follow the movie's lead i guess yeah um and and i gotta say that like there's something about the you know you know fast forwarding back to you know the robocop and and his reveal that uh i think there's something really kind of cool and timeless about the look even though it's still it looks a little dated but i i don't know it to me it still feels like like 
yeah, I don't know, kind of like Darth Vader's look, right? Like it just there's a there's an old school vibe to it, but there's also a timelessness to it. If that makes any sort of sense. I think so. I mean, I th I think uh, RoboCop's design is iconic on much the same level as as Darth Vader. Where where if you were to mix it up, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't be RoboCop, you know. And I think uh, to some extent, you know, the the 2014 remake fell victim to that. Without without getting into the the film itself, I think a lot of people were like, well, that that's not RoboCop, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's one of those designs that people know, even if they haven't seen the film. I also think it it's uh, a wonderful evocation of sort of, you know, it, it's it's set in Detroit, even though it's filmed in in uh, uh, Dallas, I believe. But but yeah. you know, kind of, it's got this like the the uh, you know, it, it, it's like pistons and and kind of you know, like it just feels very uh, very tactile. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, no, that that's a good way to put it. Um, and and that's the kind of stuff that I feel like gets can really get lost nowadays in, in a lot of movies and and you know we can sit here like and just yammer on about like oh I miss the days of when the Ninja Turtles were men in suits and stuff like that you know but 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 like you know, we maybe we sound like you know we're we're grandpas just you know you know old men yelling at the clouds or whatever but <laughs> you know we but I but I but I'm serious when I say stuff like that it's like you know, watching the, like, for example, the Obi-Wan TV show, I'm like, I love that Darth Vader, he feels like Darth Vader. He doesn't feel like a CGI character, you know? Yeah. Like, so when he's walking around, when he lights his lightsaber, I'm like, that's Darth Vader, you know? Because if it was just, like, another CGI thing, if they're like, oh, we'll just fix this in post, it, it wouldn't look right. And that's and it. I feel and I feel like the, the newer RoboCop was, was a little bit victim to that, you know, because... I don't. I think it was a real suit that Joel Kinnaman wore, but they tried so hard to be like, "Well, it's got to look cool and modern and different." And it's like, okay, but like, I don't know, RoboCop look cool, you know? Yeah. So what are you what are you doing over here with the new one? And 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 like I said before, I I, I like the new one. Um, I like the 2014 one. I just I, when I watch it, it's it's I have the same feeling that when I watch like the Green Lantern movie, I'm like. It's it's this close to to right. They got that close, and and they just you know they they dropped the ball, and that's and that's a shame because in both cases like they could have made you know I mean I could go on I, well I did go on and on about Green Lantern, <laughs> look in the back backlogs of four comic junkies, um, but like with RoboCop it's like you guys really could have done some stuff that the original movie didn't do, and you just kind of dropped the ball in favor of being a much more commercially available movie, which yeah. ironically is what the original movie is sort of making fun of. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're right. Um, do you, you know, real quick on that topic, do you have any thoughts on the, what, what are your thoughts on the 2014 one? You know, it's a, I, I didn't mind it, but it's not a movie I, I've, uh, you know, felt compelled to revisit. I mean, we're coming up on 10 years since it came out and I don't know that mm. it, it's really part of the conversation, you know. Um, I remember when when uh, when Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes remake came out in two thousand and one, and Roger mm -hmm. Ebert, in his review of that, he he said in ten years, when people say let's watch Planet of the Apes, they're going to mean the nineteen sixty eight movie. <laughs> and, you know? he right. <laughs> and, and he was right, and he was very much right. Yeah, and and I feel I felt that way about uh, about 
the, the RoboCop remake. I was like, in 10 years, when people say RoboCop, they're going to think of Peter Weller. They're going to think of that original design. Uh, you know, there's a there's a reason that here we are 35 years later talking about RoboCop, right? I mean, this is, it's, it, has, it has proven its worth. It has withstood the test of time in a way that give, gives it renewed value. You know, you, you can watch that movie and notwithstanding what you said earlier about, you know, it looks a little dated and stuff, which it very much does. But the themes that are being discussed are timeless in a way that, I think the remake do, tries to do some different stuff, but I think once you put that the RoboCop label on it, people are expecting certain things that that movie doesn't offer, and I think that's where it fell down. I you know, the, the one thing I'll give the the remake over the original that that I was missing, and even now I still miss, is I I liked that his family was a bigger part of the movie. Uh, sure. Yeah. I I think that 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 gets lost in translation in the. Uh, in the original film, which I feel like it, it it would have definitely added a little bit more. And and again, it's like we, we were talking about the second one. The second one tried to do it, tried to bring the family in, but they just, I don't think they knew what the fuck they were doing to begin with. <laughs> yeah. So that, that plot line got brought up and dropped, I think, in the first 15 minutes of the movie. <laughs> um, but I don't even think they come back, if I remember correctly. Um, but I will yeah, say... It I, I think I think that second movie really got got just uh, 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 neutered by the writer's strike that that led into that being made, and so you have these like five different plot lines that are all promising in their own way that just kind of peter out and don't go anywhere. I mean, it's such a shame, you know. It, it's 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 such an example of what happens when you're when you're beholden to a release date to the to the detriment of the movie right it, you know the, yep. they had the writer's strike and so the thing about it the creators of robocop could not contribute to the sequel because of the writer's strike so here you have the studio being like okay we can do this better than the people who made the thing you know <laughs> verhoven wasn't involved michael minor um uh, uh you know uh, uh um what's his name newmeyer yeah the they they, uh, they weren't involved and so you 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 get frank miller doing like a riff on what those guys did and i think the result is whatever happened with that movie you know such a shame yeah it's uh it, it's it's a bummer because again like like i was saying about like the remake and everything it's like there's you know kind of what you said there's pieces of a good story there and all it would have taken is if they had just a even just a few more months to crack to you know crack down on the script it probably would have been maybe not as good, but uh, at least, you know, tolerable. <laughs> um, yeah. But I will say my biggest surprise, which I did not even realize until the movie ended when it said directed by Irvin Kirshner. And my immediate first thought was, no, no, <laughs> that's, right. that's a different Irvin Kirshner. It's a pretty common yeah. name in Hollywood. I'm pretty sure there are two of them. <laughs> so I, was, I was very not happy about that, but. Um, but you know i mean it, it is what it is and it's you know uh but we won't dwell on that too much longer here all right so enough about the dumpster fire of the second film um so moving moving into the uh you know moving back to the the, the original film i think um you know it, it, it's funny thinking it when i thought of it as like a you know, like a dumb action movie that would lull me to sleep when there's, you know, there's, I, I think, really good bits in it. And like, I would even include when 
RoboCop twirls his gun and an officer Lewis sees that and she's like, oh, that's Murphy. And like, it's such a good moment, you know, like, um, and I think that uh, Nancy Allen plays that really well where it's like, oh yeah, like, no, she's like, she's piecing it together and it, and it adds a, a whole other layer to the movie. Like, even though they didn't know each other very long, you know, she, I mean, she watched him get brutally murdered. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they have, they had some sort of connection. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think that's, you know, she carries the guilt. It, it feels like to me, you know, I mean, even though it's not her fault, obviously, right. but one, one presumes that she feels that the weight of his death, right? And so you can imagine her replaying every moment she had with him in her in her mind and so that that uh, the twirl which might otherwise just pass somebody by she'd be like no that's something very specific you know yeah uh, and and i think uh one of the great things that they did with the movie that i didn't really even pick up on at first was there's no love story between the two of them there's no like it, yeah. they're just they're just friends and she yep. doesn't have to be and she's not even a damsel in distress she's there you know she's part of the action helping him you know fight the bad guys at the end of the movie um and that's so and that seems so oddly progressive for an 80s action movie you know i mean most sure right. we had like sarah connor and ellen ripley but that they're kind of you know the exceptions that prove the rule a little bit you know yeah yeah, and, and Nancy Allen even, I mean, she, she cut her hair very short, uh, specifically towards that end, so that uh, the character wouldn't be uh, easily, you know, sexualized or feminized. She wanted to sort of give, give and, and of course, Lewis has that great intro scene, right? I mean, she's literally kicking ass in her very first scene. Yeah. Uh, and, and right away, I mean, it, you know, we know Murphy has a family and everything else. So it, it does, it creates this, this respectful friendship between them that's that is it's it's very refreshing and i think it 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 remains refreshing you know this many years later yeah i i i, I totally agree because it's just so um it, it's so easy you know I, I i hate to put it that way but it feels like a lot of writers it's just so easy to be like okay and now she's kidnapped and that's what you know spurs you know Murphy back into action, you know, that's what wakes him up is he's going to go save his partner or his girlfriend or that's whatever, right. you know, it, that's right. Yeah. and in the hands of a lesser uh, filmmaker, maybe that's what they would have done. Uh, but Paul well, and, and that, that is, that is what the remake does. Right. I mean, in terms of what happens to his family. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> uh, it becomes the, the damsel in distress thing. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that it, it is cool hearing Michael Keaton say, does it come in black though? Like that's a <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, it's and yeah, again like what I said. I was like you know back on that for a second. It's like this cast is incredible, and the cast is actually doing a fantastic job in the movie. It's just like yeah. God, like you have to imagine that every one of them was pissed afterwards, thinking, "Oh, we're going to be in this new franchise and make a lot of money," and then it's like, "Oh, that's what you did," you know? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but uh, I don't know what I did. The screen was moving. For a second, I was like, "What is happening?" Okay. Anyway, back to the topic. <laughs> uh, so, and I think, uh, the, you know, the movie being more layered and complex, and and like I said, like apparently Clarence Boddicker and at least like the Dick Jones stuff and uh, 
and the old man stuff. That was all going to be a separate storyline. And then when they were rewriting it, they were like, no, these things should go together. Um, and I think it, it works really, really well because, you know, uh, I mean, Dick Jones, I mean, he's, he's a dick, you know, <laughs> like that. Um, and it's like, I, I think I only know that guy from this movie and Total Recall, <laughs> uh, Ronnie Cox. I don't think yeah. I've seen, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. So when I, I was reading about the movie earlier today, and apparently this was like his first villain role. He never played a villain before. That's uh, right. I, I, I was very surprised by that because he's he's kind of effortless. Like the scene in the bathroom with Miguel Ferrer, you know, is so is so interesting. And it's it's funny because like he's you know we we know he's in there taking a shit, <laughs> and, you know, and he come and he, but he just calmly comes out, and those other guys run away and. You know, he just, it's just such a, but it's, it's such a really awesome, intense scene where you're just like, at that moment, I was like, you know, I was like, this guy's going to die. Like he's going to kill him. Um, and not even in like a, in a corporate way, like, you know, he had done to him earlier in the movie. Like, no, 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 this, this guy's literally going to murder him. And, and I felt that through the, through the TV, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I also don't know if I would I be more uncomfortable with nudity or knowing that the audience knows that my character is shitting on screen. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a conundrum to be in. Um, but hey, yeah, that's something. <laughs> Again, that's a topic for another day. We'll do a spinoff <laughs> podcast where we'll discuss these things. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know what? So what are your thoughts on Dick Jones and kind of the the OCP? You know, kind of evil empire of the franchise. I think he's a great villain, right? I mean, I, and, and it says something about how indelible Ronnie Cox is in that role that, that he pretty much got typecast as a villain after that, you know? Yeah. Uh, he, he, he was also on, on a two-parter of Star Trek, the next generation as a, as a, uh, a replacement captain of the enterprise, you know, and he's, he's not a bad guy, but he's a dick, you know, and you, you mm. And you can't help but think of Dick Jones while he's being that dick, you know. But, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I, I think that the, at least in my experience, you know, that was my first exposure to sort of corporate uh, step on the guy underneath you culture. Yeah, and I found it quite, quite awful. You know, I think that I think RoboCop uh, is to a large extent uh, the reason I, I never went into corporate uh, uh, culture. You know. As, <laughs> <laughs> for for a career, I was like, no, I mean, I steer clear of that. But what a great what a great bad guy, you know. And I I think Directive Four is such like yeah, that's exactly the type of thing these companies would do. Are you kidding? You know? Yeah. Uh, it's it's so perfectly it's such a great uh, device within the story, but it it is so entirely accurate to what we can expect from these companies. You, you know, it's interesting while while you were saying all that. What I thought of was like. You know what we haven't gotten? We haven't gotten a Lex Luthor doing that in in LexCorp ever in live action, really. Mm, uh, I mean, Jesse Eisenberg a teeny tiny bit, but it's like, no, I'd rather, you know, like the animated series. I mean, they they did Lex perfectly, where he was very much that that Dick Jones type of guy. Um, And it's like, and I was, you know, you were talking, I was just thinking about it. I was like, man, we've been missing... There's so much we haven't gotten in a Superman movie yet. And again, that's another mm. podcast. But one thing we, we haven't gotten is the 
corporate mogul Lex Luthor who is just like when he looks at you and says you're fired, you know that that doesn't mean you're fired. It means you're going to die. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and and it's and it's interesting with on the other side of that with with the old man that you know he in this movie at least he's it's I feel like he's fairly ambiguous like we don't I I agree yeah yeah you know, but I I feel like that but that's kind of cool about the character you know uh, yeah we don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy or if he's just you know like like you know like we joked about earlier you know he just he's that guy gets murdered and the only response he has is I'm oh, very disappointed Dick. It's like, it's like okay. Yeah, I, and that, that's another thing. I, I think the sequel kind of overplayed it, and they made him kind of a mustache-twirling villain. And he's much more interesting as this guy who is ambiguous, and, and all these uh, serfs underneath him are kind of fighting it out, you know, yeah, for his, for his approval. But he himself is uh, somewhat opaque, you know. And I think Dan O'Hurley, he, who plays him, he does such a good job, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, he, he he imbues him with both menace and just a, uh, you know a, a certain degree of vulnerability where you don't entirely know what to think of him. You know, I think and I think it works really well. You know, it's it's interesting because it it reminds me a little bit, although it's more obvious that he's evil of uh, the way Donald Sutherland played uh, Pre President Snow in the Hunger Games movies. No, sure, yeah, absolutely. Because very much that when he start when he raises his voice, it's terrifying. But he also has a scene like with his granddaughter, and you just feel like, oh, he's he's a teddy bear. He's he's gonna be the cool grandpa that the kid can't wait to go see on the weekend or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I feel like the old man, at least in the first film, that, that's that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from him. Just you know, when when you're in the office, like I I will I will not just kiss your ass. I will lick your asshole if that means I get you know the next <laughs> the next big job or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, but then like at home, he probably has like a great relationship with his with his wife and his daughter and son and grandkids, great grandkids, you know. So it's so yeah. Um, and, and and look at all that that I can infer based on just a little bit of a performance. Um, and same thing we were talking about with Murphy earlier. It's like you know, it, it takes a really talented actor to convey that much in a very short amount of time. That's right. But uh, you know, and I'm not gonna you know knock any <laughs> current actors because I think current act a lot of current actors can do the same thing. But um, you know, it. But watching the movie, feeling like, like I said, I just felt like, oh, this will just be some dumb action movie, and it's like, oh no, this this has this has an actual plot, and not just a plot, but it has themes and it has story arcs, and the character goes through. A kind of a weird version of the hero's journey, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, it, and that that makes it that much more exciting and and fun to watch and and rewatch. You know, like you know, you said you watch it at least twice a year with your students. Um, I you know I got to sign up for your class. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun class. We enjoy it. Um, are you know are, are there any other movies that you can you can think of that do like the satire? you know, that play on, I guess, play on your expectations of what the movie could be or should be, you, you know what I mean? Like that, that are like RoboCop in that way? Well, you know, I think RoboCop uh, occupies a, a plane all to itself in terms of the the approach that it, that it takes. You know, I think 
there's a reason that I always go to that as as kind of my 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 go to satire. But you know, there another one that comes to mind to me is like Brazil by by um, uh, what's his name <laughs> the uh, the Monty Python guy. Why is his name escaping? Uh, Eric Idle. No, the, oh, uh, Terry, <laughs> Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam, thank you. Yeah. Wow, I just had a brain fart there. <laughs> and uh, I knew Eric but, Idle was wrong as soon as I said it. I'm like, wait, no, he wasn't the director. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, Brazil is is a satire, you know? And I think a much more sort of open-faced satire is something like The Running Man with uh, Schwarzenegger, which came out mm. not not too long after after uh, Robocop, actually. Um, yeah. Or it might have, it was that same year. It might have been before, now that I think about it. But regardless, you know, uh, uh lots of attempts you know because sci-fi allows for that but i think i think robocop does it in a way that uh the, the the satire never overcomes the human element of the story and i think that's the reason the movie still works so well the the intercutting of the the the, the commercials and news reports um you know like the i'd buy that for a dollar that happens like every you know few minutes in the movie it feels like um that's right is you know it, you know and you're right it doesn't feel like i don't feel like the movie's stopping i don't feel like we have to like be like oh well here's the break in the movie where we can go to the bathroom or something you know like it it you know or at least how it would have been back then because you know nowadays we can just pause stuff um that's right kids i know how vcrs work um <laughs> anyway but but seriously it's like uh they, they it, it all add it, it's all this really interesting world building that really just, you know, kind of pulls you in and goes, well, what's the story behind that? You know, what's, what's the, mm -hmm. I'd buy that for a dollar guy, you know, what's this, you know, and you know, this new thing that they're selling or, you know, the news reports are, are all grim, but the reporters sound kind of chipper. <laughs> you know, it's very strange. Um, but, you know, it, and I will say that I think the second one had some, good stuff that added to it but just didn't do it nearly as well as the first one that's right yeah i mean it it feels like somebody it somebody's doing a, you know a cover of this other song you know that, that's what robocop 2 feels like you know and it's so it's like oh yeah. we got to have the commercials and we got to have the news breaks and we got to have this and that but you know it was all woven into the original in a way that was story driven and organic and it wasn't really about checking boxes yeah 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 it it, it it's 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 interesting where it it you could probably take a lot of that stuff out and the movie would probably play the mostly the same but you would feel like there's something missing and it and like i said it, it expands the world a little bit more so you know we're dealing with like a handful of characters with the heroes and the villains of the, of the story but there's so much else going on that just, you know, like like kind of what Lucas was trying to do with the original Star Wars movies. It's like, no, I want this world to feel lived in. I want I want it to feel like this this is all normal and and uh, you know and not uh, in his case alien, but I'll use that word here too. It doesn't feel alien. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It just it it complements everything that's going on, um, and I also think that. They had like doing the the bits where Murphy is starting to, you know, re I don't know, rise or whatever you want to say out of out of uh, Robocop's you know databanks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, 
I, I feel like that's all really well done. And and I can't tell you, like, as an actor, how hard it is when you only have part of your face <laughs> to express emotion without looking like a complete fucking psycho. <laughs> yeah. And and Peter Weller, you know, I mean, God bless him. He found a way, man. Like he he just, you know, his lower jaw. I mean, it's I think that sells the movie as much as the costume, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, look at look at the scene when he is going through that house, uh, the empty house, and and you see the heartbreak and trauma reflected in in his lower jaw. I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, I mean, how many actors have played RoboCop since Peter Weller? And none of them, uh, none of them have close have come close to what what Weller accomplished. And I, I don't even include Joel Kinnaman because he was doing a different version. I mean, the, right. the original, you know, actors who followed on playing the the weller version yeah i mean uh, you know they, they were doing a an imitation and a pale one at that you know mm. yeah I, no they, i i agree and and part of the problem with joel kinnaman was it's, it's just the way i don't know modern action slash superhero movies are that annoys me a lot to be honest with you is it's like well we have to be able to see the guy's face you know, right. um, yeah. it's, it seems to me that the exception to that, the only time we don't need to see somebody's face is Batman. <laughs> right. Because Batman's the only superhero that during every third act finale doesn't rip his mask off and go, you know, oh, I got to talk to you, you know, um, like, you know, I'm like realizing as I'm saying it, like in every, every Batman movie versus like every Spider-Man movie where he rips off his mask every 14 seconds and... <laughs> Um, right. and, and with all the other Marvel movies as well, um, it, it's just, and that's a, that's a trope that I personally think is annoying as hell. And I'm sure it's just part of the actor contract, like, you know, like, oh, I have to have this much FaceTime. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we could probably go on about that as well, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it just, I, I find that trope to be slightly annoying. But I liked, but I did like um, with RoboCop, you know, when he takes the, the helmet off, like he just, he barely looks human. And it's, yeah, it's really sad to look at. Yeah. Like, I remember thinking that watching it going, I, I, I think, I think the, for the most part, a lot of the practical effects hold up. I think Murph, you know, Peter Roller's makeup looks pretty good, um, even by today's standards. But I'm looking at him going, this is this is horrifying to look at. Like, this is this guy that we were getting to know and was trying to impress his kid. And, you know, obviously he and yeah. his wife loved having sex, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's all we ever see of her. But <laughs> um, right. it's, uh, but, you know, it, you know, you're looking at him now going like, it, it, you know, it's obviously deliberate. It, he looks inhuman and it's kind of scary, really. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the Rob Bertin's effect where it looks like the, the skin has sort of been like stapled to this metal yeah. frame. And I mean, this is amazing. But but you realize like this is a man whose life is gone forever. So he, you know, it's almost more tragic when you think about it. He reclaims his identity. Yeah. But all that means is the realization that he.
and there's the realization of everything he's lost. So he has his his he has his awareness of self back, and all that does is underscore he can never truly be whole again. Yeah, and that's really awful, you know. It, it it is, and there's and again, like the, unfortunately, the sequel fell into lesser hands, where it could have been a really interesting take on existentialism and or a midlife crisis and what have you. And, you know, and they went the way they went, but, um, which is, you know, which is what bums me out about the, the, the franchise kind of petering out because I think that there was a lot to say there. Um, but you know, it's, you know, where it's, that's all lost time and, and all that. So, you know, who knows, but, uh, I don't know yeah. because, they, but then again, they did announce that they wanted to do RoboCop Returns, I, maybe like four or five years ago. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, it was going to be uh, Mom Camp was going to do it at some point. Yeah, yeah, and it was they were going to try and get Weller again, and it was the original That's writers, right. and I don't. And we just like never heard anything, and I was like, man, Mom Camp has like the worst track record. It's like, oh, we, we want you to do another Alien movie that looks amazing, and then they don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, and he did the same thing with RoboCop. It's like you guys, you guys suck, man. You're treating this filmmaker like shit, and he doesn't deserve that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, he 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 departed the project, as I recall, and the plan was to continue on with a different filmmaker. I don't know what happened with that, but it was going to be the film itself was going to be based on the script that uh, Newmeyer and Miner wrote for RoboCop Two, like their mm -hmm. their script for RoboCop Two which had previously been filmed as the pilot episode of the, the syndicated TV show that aired in um, 1993, I believe. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Um, yeah. The, uh, uh, did, did you ever watch that? I, I've never, ever seen it. I did. I watched it when it first aired. And I've recently revisited bits and pieces of it because it's, it's streaming on uh, Peacock right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean it's, I mean it's not a it's not a very good show, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, uh, the actor who plays RoboCop, his name is Richard Eden, and he's kind of, he's not bad, you know, but he's just he's not Peter Weller, you know. Right. Uh, I think I, after Peter Weller, there there was uh, uh, Robert John Burke in the third one. There was Richard Eden in this show, and there was uh, Paige Fletcher in the there's a miniseries. There's a, a a miniseries on Sci-Fi, I think, in around 2000. And and just none of them none of them had what the role requires, you know. I mean, it, it. I think I think the studio sort of thought, oh, you can just shove anybody in the in the plexiglass suit and they'll they'll make it work. But no, Peter Weller was doing something. You know, he was doing a lot of things. It, um, he, he had something. He, I mean, he he did like he's he's a obviously a really good character actor. He's you know you can tell that he's putting the work in. Like, oh, how would how would Robo move? How would Robo speak? How would you know how would he interact with people or whatever it's what makes that that first action montage kind of striking because he's he's so believable as this robot you know that's right um and and i i and i and i think you're right there's there's you 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 if you're gonna put somebody in the suit you have to put somebody that's gonna you know put the work in you know because i i i always like to say and i i don't Maybe I sound crazy, but I don't think Schwarzenegger is. I think his best role is the Terminator. Um, yeah. But, but I also think it's it's not easy to just 
play everything straight to not react when things right. are going on, you know, so people can label him however, but I'm like, that's not easy to do to just spout off dialogue like a machine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like he has a little exposition dump in part two. Um, I mean, that's, that's not easy to say all of that, you know, with just, and, and not want to inflect or whatever, you know? Right. All that actory shit. Um, <laughs> So one, one last uh, one last question I have for you. Uh, I find looking back on this kind of stuff, um, when I it was a few years ago, my friends and I went to a uh, uh, we went to Steel City Con in uh, in Pittsburgh, and mm -hmm. you know so they're selling you know selling comics and toys. There's guests, all that cool stuff. Um, but we went by this vendor that had all these like '80s toys, and of course like half of the '80s toys are like He-Man and Transformers and G.I. Joe, but the other half is Alien, Predator, Terminator, Robocop, you know? <laughs> um, so I, and it's, it's just that that fascinates me that it's something like, here are the, all these R-rated movies that we're now going to profit all these toys from kids. Like, and I guess my question to you is, what do you think of that? And were you, I'm sure you were a part of it when you were a kid, you probably had a RoboCop toy or something, you know. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, you know, the, there, was a, there was a RoboCop toy line in 1989, uh, I believe. It was, it was you know, th there was the Marvel uh, animated series, right? The RoboCop mm -hmm. syndicated series. And there was a toy line that came out right around that. It was called RoboCop and the Ultra Police. And it was by Kenner, which they were the guys. They always made the the toys based on the R-rated movies, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I had I Robocop. He came with a removable helmet thing, and he had like a a cap dispenser. So he would put put the caps in his back, and he could flick it, and he'd go, you know. <laughs> uh, and it was a cool toy, man. I mean, I you know I I remember that very distinctly. But uh, I feel like the the market. Uh, now for for uh, toys based on those R-rated movies of the 80s is really like exploding. And it's so interesting because now you have retro toys being put out that are meant to evoke the kiddie toys based on the R-rated movies. So it's like yeah. it's like some Inception level shit. It's like a <laughs> uh, an homage within an homage, you know? I mean, I have personally, I have a, I have a Hot Toys Robocop. And it's one of my most prized uh, pieces in my Hot Toys collection because uh, it's just an amazing figure, and it certainly reflects my love of the character. Um, yeah, I I love I I don't have any because I don't have money, but <laughs> um, but I but I, I I scroll through those, I see those pop up on Amazon, and they're they're just so gorgeous. Uh, it's yeah. hard to resist, you know. I have to put some money aside, you know. Like, sorry, kiddo, you're going to college a little bit late. Um, <laughs> kidding, kidding. We're not going to make it to college. Look at the world around you. Um, anyway, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I found we were talking about that a little bit. You know, like, this is so interesting that, like, they they found a way to, you know, and, uh, like, make a profit out of these R-rated movies for kids in some strange way. And But, uh, you know, when I was thinking about what I was thinking about while you were talking about, you know, the different action figures that come out that are supposed to look like they looked in the 80s or whatever, I'm like, you know, the other weird market that's shown up for collectors, and I'm a part of it, is is like Funko Pops, you know, like sure, uh, sure. 
they I, I always joke with my sister I'm like these things must cost nothing to make because they will make them about anything you know yeah uh, yeah that's right and but it's you know it's it's fun to you know I had a I have an alien and predator one you know that um I, I don't have a RoboCop one I don't even think I have a Terminator one and it's like maybe the maybe the, those ones don't exist but um I would love to like track that down if I you know or if it becomes available I'll be like yeah 35th anniversary give me a Funko you know Murphy um <laughs> but not without the face helmet though because that's that's weird you can keep the helmet on um natural yeah <laughs> I don't want to see all that in my nightmares at least not anymore <laughs> um well Zaggy this has been a total blast um thank you you know, and I feel like we could probably, if we were to sit and watch the movie, I'm sure we could um, go on and on and on, you know, for two hours and then some. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, but you know, thank you so much for coming back. This this was great, and I was so excited to get to this episode. I'm glad we got to do it. Yeah, this is well, you know, uh, uh, RoboCop is uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, and actually. Uh, on the movie film show, uh, Brian Hall and I, we actually recorded commentary tracks for the first two films. So if anybody listening wants to hear more of me just kind of uh, droning on uh, about this character, you can check those out in the movie film podcast archive. I, I'll have to look for that. I did listen to your RoboCop too, which I thought was really funny because um, I think you guys are hilarious. Um, so I'll have to oh, tra- track down, yeah. Uh, I'll have to track down the Robo, the first one. Um, so, Zachy, if people um, are looking for you out there in the interwebs, where can they find you? Well, uh, as I mentioned, there's the Movie Film Podcast, which is uh, available wherever you get your podcast picks. That's myself and my partner, Brian Hall. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Zachy's Corner. That's Z-A-K-I-S Corner. It's also my website, sadda.com. And I write for the San Francisco Chronicle. And I got a couple pieces uh, coming up there that uh, I think by the time people are hearing this, uh, they'll be able, they'll, those will be in the archives, too. You can check those out. Awesome. Um, I do recommend the movie film podcast. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you. I, I will say your commentaries. Part of the reason I love listening to them, I, I don't watch the movie with them. I'm usually like on a commute. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it? You guys remind me of me and my friends. We'll sit there <laughs> and like great. make fun make fun of the movie a little bit too. But also every now and then go, oh, isn't that great? That scene looks so great. And then later be like, you know, you know, why would he? Why would he say that? It's the dumbest thing anyone could say at this moment. You know. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, and as for me, you can find me for Comic Junkies uh, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. I really don't use the, mostly Twitter, if you're really that desperate to look for me. Um, Also, I have another podcast, the Spider-Man Book Club, available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Zachy did an episode there, and it was awesome. Um, That was fun. And, uh, yeah, so we're signing off, folks. And, you know... We just want to say to all you kids out there, stay out of trouble. I think that's what he says. Is that what he says? Yeah, I think so. That's what he says. Yeah. Ah, that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs>